what's up, everyone? This is Jesse HS of Heart God Media. This is the Heart God Media podcast, and today is the very first episode, the very first full episode of the Heart God Media podcast. And what better way to start it than having George A. Romero? Psych. Not our first episode, but it is officially four years since our first episode, and the Heart God Media, uh, whatever you want to call it, coalition. Uh, podcast uh, is going on. We are now the Sight and Sound Podcast. Uh, obviously, still under the Heart God Media name, and we have some uh, cool stuff coming to today and this week in a couple episodes celebrating our one year anniversary and uh, our one year anniversary. Shit, four year anniversary. Uh, so four years I've been uh, doing this and had all all my friends be a part of this. Uh, to varying degrees, uh, some pretty consistently, some not so consistently, uh, but we're going to have some familiar voices on, we're going to play some games, we're going to play some, we're going to do some battle year, because battle year is a fucking blast, and, uh, yeah, four years ago, did the first ever episode, uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, on George Romero, just celebrating George's life as he passed away that summer, of 2017 and here we are 2021 a bunch of bullshit has went on and it's been uh awesome terrible disgusting beautiful everything in between um since then a fucking pandemic fucking all kinds of shit fucking a million deaths uh within the celebrity slash horror slash genre world and music world and and even though we're a music and film podcast, we cover so much uh, film, more so than music. But today, I'm going to talk music with uh, Lou Smith, as well as uh, a bunch of different shit, horror news. This is kind of a free-for-all, one-year celebration episode. So if you're into it, um, stick it out and we'll pet it. Um, and if not, uh, stick it out and it'll be pet anyways. And uh, yeah, here's, uh, here's Lou. Lou's on today to discuss all kinds of shit, have some fun, play some fucking games, do some trivia, shit like that, and uh, yeah, enjoy this, and I'm sure you'll like the next episode too, we have a couple more people on, just kind of celebrate, maybe we'll throw out a list, it's probably apropos that we do something related to George, because George had had a big hand, his his death unfortunately, uh, inspiring this podcast to be made, as well as Toby Hooper, so uh, maybe we're going to jump on uh, those topics in the next one. We're definitely going to talk some uh, some George in this episode as well. So enjoy part one of the four-year celebration of uh, Heart Guy Media and the Sight and Sound podcast, uh, formerly the Heart Guy Media podcast. Uh, should we go back to Heart Guy Media and just call it the Heart Guy Media podcast and not try to fucking confuse everyone with a million names? I don't know. Uh, regardless, uh, here's my convo with Lou. It's a blast. All right, four-year celebration of the Heart God Media Coalition, uh, whatever you want to call it, the the podcast, uh, formerly Heart God Media Podcast, now Sight and Sound Podcast, presented by Heart God Media. Lou, I, I got to get your take. Should, should I ask the Sight and Sound thing, or should I just go? Should I go right back to Heart God Media, or what? Because it's nah, man. Keep keep rolling with it, dude. Keep rolling with it. I like you. You know, you sent me this message, and you kind of explained to me exactly what the idea behind it was like the moderate rebranding, but not really. I love it. I think it's fucking, it hits the nail on the head, man. Like keep, keep going with it. Own it, you know? Okay, good. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
Blue, welcome back for the millionth time. Uh, this, this podcast wouldn't have been able to have uh, have its entertainment value without you. We've done so many episodes together. We've covered movies, music, everything in between. And uh, I got to, first off, thank you for coming on and fucking chatting with me. I mean, these chats you and I have had for years. We've just, I mean, it's just, it's the reason I started the podcast was just, we'd have these conversations you and I, especially every so often, we would hit each other up and we'd go, we'd go down a rabbit hole on something, just text back and forth. Now we just, you know, the last four years, we pretty much just hit record on it. Right. No, it's, uh, you know, I guess first and foremost, you, thank you for, uh, for letting me be part of this because, um, I think now that we, I, I feel like we've, we've crossed a lot of paths that we've already crossed over before with these, te- you know, with the texts we used to have, we've kind of retread, uh, over familiar ground, but like, it's just fucking awesome. It's nice to be able to sit down and, and have like, you know, literally record the rabbit hole as we're exploring it. Like, it's just fucking awesome. So thank you for, <laughs> thanks for having me back. This is, this is great. And congratulations, dude. Four fucking years. It's insane. It's yeah, insane, man. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird to think it's been four years, but I mean, the last. I mean, and now I'll I'll only I'll only record when I I feel like inspired to. And there's sometimes where I'll go two months without recording because I just don't feel like there's anything to talk about, and I just don't feel like the gumption to record. But I think that's mm-hmm. what makes it kind of. Uh, authentic. I'm not like, well, I got to release an episode this week. I need to talk about fucking Husker Du's fucking third release or something because it's the 14th <laughs> anniversary of fucking the one time they fucking came to Idaho. Uh, uh, so I, I try to keep it very authentic. I don't want to ever be like, I'll never have like, I mean, I say never, maybe one day, uh, but I highly, highly, highly doubt it. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a Patreon. I'm not begging people for money. I do this just because I like talking with my friends, talking like like talking with you, ET, Brian, Sean. You know, all you guys that have you know helped keep this podcast alive. Pretty much do it just to have fun conversations with you guys. Record it and let the 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 small audience that listens um uh just you know eat it up and fucking grab a spoon and fucking lick your lips and fucking squirt some whipped cream on it and have a good time. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, other than that, I mean, it's just, it's been a blast. And, uh, so today, uh, I know I didn't give you, I didn't give you much, uh, to go off from as far as what we're going to do. So you and I are going to do a battle year, uh, for 1989. Hell yeah. And if no one's familiar with battle year, I haven't done it in a, in a little bit, but we started it as season five came underway. Uh, we take a year and we pit two movies that came off in that year against each other and you have to choose between one or the other for anybody that is uh, not familiar with that. But I've also included some albums from 1989 as well. Ah, to- dude, I, I'm all about this. I'm liking everything that you're throwing at me so far. And I also want to, because our first episode four years ago was recorded on Labor Day weekend, we're just past Labor Day weekend now. Uh, was about George Romero. I want to talk George Romero with you, and I also want to get your thoughts on a couple new horror uh, things that have come out, movies and, and perspective, uh, TV series and things that are coming out. And obviously, we're going to touch on King. Obviously, we're we're in the you know couple weeks outside of October, so there's going to be many discussions to be had, anyways. Oh, of course, of course, dude. Let's uh, let's fucking let's travel down this rabbit hole man that is that is battle year and this is you know this is exactly because we're i mean we're just kind of 
we're rolling. It's almost like a free-for-all episode, but I figure what better way than to just uh, let it fly. Into it. into it. You know you're talking about eating up things with whipped cream? Bro, I don't even need whipped cream. I'm like just about to, ready to eat the spoon, so let's uh, fucking, fucking do this thing, man. So battle year 1989, the last year of a magnificent decade, depending on who you talk to. Um, but, you know, I got some comedies in here. I got some genre movies, some blockbusters, um, some comic book movies, horror movies. This is going to be good. So, okay. And if you haven't, and you can default to the other one if you haven't seen one of these films, but I'm pretty sure you've seen all, all, if not most of these. Okay. So 1989 battle year. Here we go. First two movies pit up, pit it off against each other. Weekend at Bernie's or major league. Ooh. So, all right. So I, I'm going to have to, my, my immediate gut reaction is weekend at Bernie's. And the reason for that is because, I rewatched that semi recently because I found it like on DVD at like fucking Goodwill and re, you know, rewatching it, rewatching it again. It's like, I don't think I've, I've seen a more fucked up premise like for coked out, like, you know, movie studio execs. Dude, that's a great idea. There's a corpse that's reanimated. Let's send him to the, you know, to his fucking home on Long Island or whatever's the Hamptons and shit, whatever the fuck they, they ended up going. Um, and parade around with this corpse he has sex you know like somehow he performs sex I, i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with weekend at birdies and it's because even though i i re-watch or i try to rewatch major league every like basically when baseball starts up again i try and do a rewatching of that because it's a fantastic movie you know star-studded cast but there's something exponentially more demented about weekend at bernie's and i watched i actually watched the second one a lot as a child oh me like a, a, a lot me too i just remember the two guys dancing in the bathroom with the chicken uh, singing about voodoo <laughs> i remember that vividly get on up uh that was like oh. uh it, i don't it was like one of those staple movies that like in 1995 you were just watching in the middle of the day in the middle of the summer <laughs> Well, that and the the other thing from Weekend at Bernie's too, not to like go off on the, the second one, but specifically when he's shoved under the sink in like the oh bungalow, my god, yeah, and the music starts up like the beat, and he like he basically emerges from there, like just insane. So I'm gonna stick with uh, I'm gonna stick with the uh, the original choice. I'm gonna say for me, uh, 100% Weekend at Bernie's, just insanely crazy. I don't know how this was made a movie, but it was, and I love it. Why does he dance when the music comes out? That's what I never fucking got. It's so good, so over the top and ridiculous, but it fucking works. Like, uh, I think his name isn't Jason Silverman and or Adam Silverman, whatever his name is, and and obviously um Andrew McCarthy, Terry mm-hmm. Kaiser as Bernie. Like, I don't know. It just it shouldn't work. And also Don Kalfa of Return of the Living Dead. Yes, thing. yes. Um, it shouldn't work, but it works so well. I mean, and I love the film so much. I'm going Major League just because I probably quote Major League way more. I've seen them both a million times. Probably Major right. League a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going Major League. So which which one of those characters as a kid um, from Major League absolutely fucking floored you? Was it Wild Thing or were you more like, yeah, I identify with Tom Berenger because he seems like... 
you know, he could be like someone my dad works with, you know, like, it's kind of like one of those, he's a blue collar guy, just really gruff, like, eh, no bullshit. Like who, who was your, as, as a kid, which one of those characters just like fucking blew you away? Or was it Willie Mays Hayes? You know? No, while all those characters are great, Lou Brown, the manager, Lou Brown is my fucking favorite. <laughs> okay, Dorn, don't give me that Olay bullshit. <laughs> Uh, he definitely he definitely seems like somebody we've sat next to at flows you know like oh yeah 100 percent had a mountain burger at flows <laughs> <laughs> oh shit with some Actually, with some gravy on his home fries for sure uh mm-hmm. yeah i don't know that character just like fucking killed me and like i don't know it was just it's a great cast like fucking Behringer, Sheen, fucking uh, Wesley Snipes. Uh, also, I did love uh, Ed Harris, or Eddie Harris, the fucking pitcher, the fucking Bardal Vegisil. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was just, it's just so fucking good. And both, I mean, you can't go wrong with either movie, really. No, they're both, uh, and, and they take up a very different audience. Like they, one of them, you know, I feel like what's, what's great about major league is you can show that to people who are into sports and you can also show that movie to people who aren't into sports and they're still going to be able to find cool shit in that. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, because it's the quotable lines in that, you know, up yours, Joe boot. Like there's just so many great, uh, oh, yeah, there's there really so is. many great fucking lines, but, um, I don't know. It's also a fucking great story. Just it's a fun story about a shitty sports team that no one has faith in. It's a great comeback story. So yes, excellent. Uh, what a fucking way to kick off battle year. I know, Jesus right? Christ. This is Coming a star-studded to- year too. So the next yeah. one, another heavy header. Two heavy headers. Two sequels. Um, from 1989, we got Back to the Future Two or Ghostbusters Two. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Or do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll let you go first. Okay, so this is a no-brainer for me. Um, I'm Back to the Future too, um, and th- it's a very quick reason as to why. Um, I didn't dislike Back uh, Ghostbusters two. I thought it was a fucking great sequel, um, but it was definitely one of those things like being like a fan of the first Ghostbusters. I don't know as if it was like the sequel that we necessarily asked for, but it was a sequel that we got, and it was great. Does that make sense? Like 100%. It was, it was one of those good, it was one of those movies where like, I don't know. It it fed, it fed your craving for more Ghostbusters. It didn't necessarily like, no one ever says it's on par with the original. Whereas I know several people who favor back to the future Two over the original, which I know to some people sounds ridiculous, but it's at least Back to the Future Two is as juggernautish as the first one. If and especially if you love the first Back to the Future, you love Back to the Future Two, even if it's just a little less. You put Back to the Future right under, or Back to the Future Two right under Back to the Future. Whereas Ghostbusters Two might be two or three rungs below the original Ghostbusters. Uh, that's not taking anything away from it. I love Ghostbusters too. It's fucking like you said. It was a great sequel. It fed the need perfectly. But I feel like Back to the Future Two. There's so much stuff in Back to the Future Two that, I mean, I mean, just for purposes of it being so influential, people still to this day are talking about the Nike mags, the electric laces, and the fucking mm-hmm. hoverboard 
that shit is like, and I'm as I'm literally talk, talking to this, talking to you, I'm looking at a future is now Pepsi Perfect with a Pepsi Perfect sitting on a hoverboard, uh, an eleven by seventeen that I have right under a Pet Cemetery two poster. So you could put take that for what it is. It's you know, and, and I think just to to really drive home that point, I think the second one, like Back to the Future Part Two, that is a true sequel. That was a oh, sequel yeah. that, because of the cliffhanger that w- that we were left in at the end of the first one, you know, Doc Brown showing up, he's got the fucking Cuisinart goddamn, like, you know, <laughs> attachment that he's now fed onto, you know, the DeLorean. He's picking out, a, you know, he's picking trash out of Marty's. Now Marty's, uh, you know, his family's home, the McFly residence. You know, you got to come back to me. What, do we become assholes or something? Like, it sets it up for the next movie. Um, and I did actually have, I had a period of time in high school where I think that I liked the second one more, but ultimately the first one for me is still like one of my all time. It's just a perfect film. It's a perfect movie. It's a great concept. Um, but yeah, dude, the second one fucking talk about the, the idea of fucking with a timeline, if you will. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say what you will about like, you know, some of these different, uh, shows and or movies that will remain unnamed from massive uh fucking you know studios back to the future part two uh, in particular that really explored that idea of like this is what happens when you really fuck with time right like marty almost has to go back and essentially you know he's trying to get boned by his mom you know whereas like in, in part two it's like okay this dude goes and fucking drastically alters the future or a timeline, right? A branch of the timeline. Um, just insane. Blew my mind as a kid. Blew my mind as a kid. That and I like the idea of Hill Valley basically being like this really ghetto, like run down, like when, when you meet Strickland, when he goes back and gets chased out of his house, you know, like by the people living there. And then like he goes to Strickland's house and he's got the shotgun. Like it's just this really like crazy alternate universe. Just anyway, I don't need to spot off anymore about that. But the second one, um, I agree. I think there's, there are a lot of people that do prefer the second one to the first one, even to this day. Like if you ask them, it would be like, no, no contest. It was, it was a perfect follow up, like a perfect sequel in general, you know, follow up to a great movie. Yeah. Maybe it was the eighties thing too. Um, for me, but like I always loved the first one but when I read I won't say rediscovered but when I started watching the second one more and more at like the early 2000s and it just it just I don't know it just like rung with me and like just seeing like uh Biff owning the fucking casino and running the town and like all the 80s nostalgia and stuff I, I don't know it just uh it was uh I don't know it it just rang it rung my bell uh, a little bit more than the first one, and it never kind of it never sloped back down below the first one like it was before. And I mean, it's just uh, just preference, man. I prefer. Uh, Hell yeah! I'm also a weirdo with ice cream, though. I fucking I can go to an ice cream shop with a million different fucking flavors. I'm still getting a vanilla a vanilla soft serve on a cone, maybe with rainbow sprinkles, maybe. Well, speaking of ringing bells and slopes, I mean, being able to see, you know, Lorraine, a.k.a. Leah Thompson, oh, with good some Lord. enormous, good enormous, Lord. 
uh, like unnecessarily large, but still wonderful uh, in that capacity. Uh, when when Marty goes back and and actually sees Biff uh, has w- w- are they okay? Let me ask you this: Was that like a that's got to be had to be a forceful marriage in some way, shape, or form, right? Because if, if as the story goes, right, like he's uh, you know his father's killed. Right, as we find out, essentially murdered. Two big flies with the <laughs> same gun. <laughs> Crazy. So anyway, I don't need. We don't need to get off on that. We should at some point. We should definitely have a conversation about the Back to the Future trilogy. Oh, that that whole thing's got to happen. I'm. I'm, and I know we've talked about Tremors as well. Um, hundred percent. Need to chat oh, about yeah. that. But, but anyway, um, yeah, Leah Thompson, plastic surgery. Wow. Uh, haunted my dreams in a great way as a child, but uh, we can we can uh, we can push ahead. All right, so Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Ooh, definitely as a child. Like if you would have asked me this as like a ten year old kid, my immediate was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That talk about movies like that blew my mind as a as a kid. Being shrunk down, walking through blades of grass. Ending up in a, in a fucking cereal bowl of like, you know, uh, fucking Cheerios or whatever. That idea, it, the ants in the yard and shit, like, oh yeah, that blew my mind. But then, I, my answer ultimately is Last Crusade because to this day, that is the Indiana Jones movie I've watched the most, like consistently. I think it, with the attitude of you know Sean Connery, you know, um, you know. As uh, as his father, it was just uh, th- talk about lines, talk about quotable lines in that. No ticket, you know. Like it's just there's certain elements to that movie that just uh, excellent writing, and you had at that point what I would say and, and argue um, this would be a hill I would die on. That's the perfect third installment of a franchise, in my opinion. That that right there is the golden fucking example of like how trilogies should come to an end because. I don't even want to start talking about Indiana Jones, the King of the Crystal, Crystal Skull. Skull yeah. <laughs> Fuck that noise. Fucking Shia LaBeouf swinging with monkeys and shit, and they're all looking at him grinning. Dumb. Lazy writing. Uh-huh. Fucking Last Crusade. Perfect. The showdown in the desert with the tank at the end. I mean, come on. Like, the perfect element of, like, Christian, like, mysticism wrapped into, you know, fighting Nazis in the desert, wrapped into, you know, in Venice. It's just all these really, it's the, it's the epitome of, like, archaeological like event a borderline not a cult but they talk about the rosicrucians and shit christian mysticism you know like it's it's fascinating to me now and as a kid it blew me away as like you know i'm 11 years old i see that i'm like whoa what the fuck was gonna top a dude's face melting from you know uh rage of the lost ark and monkey brains and fucking temple of doom the entire last crusade right. movie. Top. I mean, it's you know just insane. It's I mean, just going through all these films now, it reminds me how, you know, you can. It's so easy to to play the the person that's like, oh, they don't make them like they used to. But the fact of the matter is, they really just don't. And that's mm-hmm. not saying that there isn't good movies that come out in 2021. They just aren't. I don't know. I don't know. As innocent, as well thought out, as creative, as imaginative, as like mystic and uh there's just like some whimsical shit about a lot of these movies that we're talking about particularly the indiana jones series and honey i shrunk the kids honey i shrunk the kids is my answer um i've definitely watched it more um if this was temple of doom temple of doom would probably trump it because temple of doom is my favorite but 
Um, Interesting. It's uh, Kalima. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Honey I Shrunk the Kids. All the imagery in that is it's such a fucking perfect movie, and it's so good. And just the imagery of like uh, the youngest uh, Nick Selinsky in the fucking cereal bowl, trying not to be eaten by his dad, is like. Just, like, that is fucking, like, brilliant fucking cinema and brilliant, like, screen screenwriting and, like, just the fucking, the machine that, that Wayne, like, created just looks sick. All the effects in it for 1989, yes. like, looked sick. And I think it's really, it speaks to the laziness uh, and the cheapness of Hollywood to not put their time and effort into a lot of these movies that are say a Marvel movie, like I can't watch a Marvel movie. And that's nothing against comic book movies. Uh, cause I love certain comic book movies from my past, but I can't watch those Marvel movies now because it takes me out of it so bad because it's just so fake looking and it's mm-hmm. so like, uh, so commute computer animated. But like I said, with honey, I shrunk the kids, like, I don't know that CGI that's in there and the goofiness in there makes it, I don't know, believable, uh, which is funny because mm-hmm. I say that these movies are more whimsical than movies now, so it it almost contradicts itself. But if you you know what I mean, where it just I don't know, maybe it's just the age of innocence and just the the age we grew up in, where that's the thing we grew up in the '90s, where all the '80s movies were of a, availability to us, be it on television, be it on. So we don't know a life without '80s movies. Whereas you could say that for kids nowadays, but at the same time. Those kids, I feel like, aren't treading back to the 80s, whereas they are treading back to, like, say, super big kids, like, that are 15 years old now. They aren't going back and watching Temple of Doom or Last Crusade or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. They're going mm-hmm. back and watching Superbad and thinking that's, like, so maybe, like, I don't know, I feel like a 15-year-old kid now finds Superbad and is like, oh, my God, this is the funniest fucking thing in the world Whereas someone like you and I would be like, oh my god, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is the coolest fucking movie in the world if we were to have discovered that at 15. But we kind of grew up with it, and I don't know, I think there's a, a, a rush for kids nowadays to kind of grow up too fast, so they don't, they aren't able to experience, or they feel like they're too mature for certain movies like that. And it's not even that it's like that immature of a film, but I just feel like, I don't know, there's a family fun in films from yesteryears that isn't prevalent now and wasn't prevalent 15 years ago or even 10 years ago. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a weird rabbit hole to get down to and try to explain to myself, but honey, I shrunk, honey, I shrunk the kids. I think that's yours. Yeah. I, I think you, I think one of the big things about that for me and I, I kind of touched on it and you like elaborated eloquently. Um, the big thing for me is like, it's stoked like imagination Right. Like I wanted to know what the fuck it was like to be a mini version of myself in like the woods, because that's a whole other fucking like ecosystem that like I'm used to like my house. It's fucking 311 South Peterborough Street, my grandmother's house where I lived for years. Right. That's all I knew. I knew the garden out back. But like in my mind, after watching that movie, because they had it on VHS, that's the first time I saw it. I watched it, watched it, watched it, watched it. They're the ones that also had Weekend of Bernie's, too, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, but that and on, on VHS, that movie in particular was like it was mind blowing to me as a kid. But mind blowing, not in the sense where I said later with uh, Last Crusade and like just that imagery of like World War Two and history and fucking meeting Hitler and burning books and all this crazy shit, right? Like, 
it was okay this is stoking that it's that innocence but also like it's creative yeah it's creative in a different way you know and not to say that like you know all these other things not to say that super bad's not creative but like I don't know. We grew up, I don't know. You said it perfectly, dude. Kids are being forced to grow up now and like with readily access to fucking all this crazy ass shit, like on the phones, it's like, dude, I didn't, you know, like I I saw nipples in fucking, you know, in movies that I rented or, you know, shit I saw on like fucking early morning runs of, of things on fucking Cinemax. It's on dick, you know, like not to, not to get too far into the weeds here, but, but, we say that, and I think about that, but then the same token, by the same token, I think they are, in some ways too. Where we say like, oh, you know, we were more like able to have an imagination and and like things that were more whimsical, be it movies or whatever. But then I think that these kids now live in such a fantasy land because they sit on a computer and play video games, and they wouldn't go out in the woods and stuff. So I just feel like, I mean, what I'm pretty much saying is. Kids nowadays are the antithesis of antithesis of us, and they fucking suck. Um, is what I'm just trying to say. That's just the bottom line, and, and I don't think it needs to be explained anymore. But yes, yes. I mean, that's really just the the bottom line. I mean, we were like the last great. I mean, not to not to blow my entire generation, fillet the fuck out of them, but we were the last like great generation, the last of like the kids that you know the rub dirt on it and go play kids. The, the last of, you know, kids that didn't have all these fucking, I'm anxiety, I'm depressed. Uh, no, we were just fucking, we were just happy to be here. We're stoked, and Breathing in all that fucking secondhand smoke. Oh, from, give me it all. From Tom Ackerman and fucking getting Keystone Premium spilled on me by my dad as yeah. he's driving down the road <laughs> from fucking flows, you know. <laughs> hungover, hungover brunch or some shit, you know. Exactly. Uh so last movie, and then we're gonna move on to the albums. Hell yeah! Batman, Tim Burton's Batman from 1989, or Pet Cemetery? Ooh, so this dude definitely Pet Cemetery, definitely Pet Cemetery, and I think because it, this is my answer now, and I think this would still have been my answer when I saw. I saw Batman first just because that was more accessible. Right. Right. Um, and it was a huge fucking movie. It was everywhere, especially with like growing up with older cousins and all that shit. But seeing Pet Cemetery, you know, as a, as, as a preteen, that truly fucking stuck with me. I'm, I don't care what anybody says that scene with fucking Zelda still to this day makes my skin crawl. That makes my fucking skin crawl. That whole sequence got goes upstairs and she's all fucking dis- discombobulated. And that and fucking when homeboy gets his fucking carotid or his Achilles fucking tendon sliced. Yep. When he's walking. I mean, those sequences just still haunt me. So, yeah, without a doubt, um, I, I got to go with Pet Cemetery just because it's still a it still holds up. Um and it it made a lasting impression, and we obviously the two of us we love fucking um, we love Stephen King. We're big uh, big Stephen King uh, heads, if you will. Um, dude, I'm gonna go with uh, gonna go with Pet Cemetery for sure. This might shock you, but no, it won't, because I'm going Pet Cemetery. It wasn't even a second thought. Um, uh, <laughs> dude, you had me for like a second. I was uh, like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, Batman '89 is cool. I still think it pales in comparison. I mean, I'm going to fuck. I'll throw out a fucking hot take right now. I put my favorite Batman movie ever is Batman Returns. And, really? And then 
behind that. It was definitely like the horror element to it, though, because, you know, Danny DeVito as the penguin was just more like vicious and I'd like to fill her void like uh, <laughs> uh, just like the goofiness. And, and maybe it just it just came off as so dark and like a horror movie. Um, but I don't even put Batman 89 in the top five of my favorite Batman films. Um, and that's not to say I didn't love it and especially love it as a kid. I was obsessed with that movie as a kid. Now I love that movie now, but that movie didn't change my life. I can <clears throat> say with confidence that pet cemetery changed my life on about three different levels. The first level is the first time I heard the Ramones changed my life forever. The second level, it literally introduced me to true terror. I think uh, in film, it literally, I think, I think Pet Cemetery was probably the first film that truly terrified me as a kid. And I know some, you know, 50 year old guys probably like, yeah, it's not that scary. But to me, it definitely was. Um, and it, that and Texas Chainsaw Massacre were the first two movies that legitimately scared the ever loving piss out of me. So, and on top of that, it, made me discover Stephen King. That was the first time that I can recollect in my pea-sized brain that it was Stephen King. Oh, Stephen King, Stephen King. And then I started seeing, you know, Graveyard Shift, says written by Stephen King. And I just thought he was a dude that wrote movies at first until I started seeing, like, oh, based on a novel by Stephen King, you know, saw it in Silver Bullet and stuff. And then when I was old enough or uh, smart enough to fucking be like, oh, I should probably read Stephen King's books... I discovered Stephen King based off that because in the first book I read and still my favorite book to this day is Pet Cemetery. So Pet Cemetery probably introduced me to reading and gave me an appreciation for reading. I don't do as much now. I mean, cause I mean, it's, it's a shitty excuse, but like, you're just so busy. When the fuck do you get to sit down and read? I feel like whenever I want to read, it's always at night and I fucking read, I'll read 30, 40 pages and then fucking fall asleep and I won't pick the book up for another couple months. But so it introduced me to that it introduced me to Stephen King it introduced me to the Ramones. It literally like Pet Cemetery, the movie changed my life and made me branch off into like three or four different things that would help, uh, coagulate what the fuck I would become. Very, very well said. I know that movie is very important to you and, um, that trifecta of things pretty much essentially it changing, uh, it changing your existence. I mean, um, that the movie, as far as adaptations are concerned, again, I know that you and I have talked about this, but I still think it's, uh, it's definitely one of those, it's one of those better, uh, it's one of those better adaptations just in general. It's a strong candidate. I, I me personally, I won't go and say it's, it is the best, uh, just my own personal thing, but it's, it is up there. Like for sure. Creepy, creepy as fuck, dude. Very creepy. Well, we're going to actually touch on some more Stephen King stuff, uh, after we're done with battle year. So we'll wrap back around to that, but let's get to the music ones. Yes. So bad religion, no control or the cure disintegration. Oh man. Uh, no control, bad religion. Those, the first three records, uh, that bad religion put out and I'm talking like full length, you know, uh, fan fucking tastic. And, and, and for me, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about bad religion, for you know i don't want to say endlessly but they're one of those bands that to me it it, it epitomizes socially aware but also very intentionally intelligent and not to the point where like you can't understand what um what greg graffin's saying you can always understand what he's saying i just had this conversation uh with jimmy from the vapids like 
you always are hearing what he's saying. And it's always these very like, he delves into some kind of some law, you know, some, some deeper, he goes a little bit deeper than surface value, but like the album as a whole suffers. My favorite, that album truly is a masterpiece. Um, and that's not to say I don't like the cure. I love disintegration is a haunting fucking album. Uh, haunting. Yeah. But for me, I, and I think a lot of it too, is it's like, the, the Cure in particular were one of those bands very similar to New Order. Um, the way in which they mix the bass as well as like – and the bass being a little bit more melodic, it drives a little bit, both Peter Hook and obviously with, with The Cure. Um, that to me is I, – I can – I want to hear that in every song, <laughs> you know, if it makes sense, right? But, um, but yeah, got, got to go with uh, – got to go with Bad Religion on that for sure. Yeah, um – I would definitely go with Bad Religion to uh, No Control because that record was the first record of theirs that caught my eye. Now, I think the first record that I listened to in full was New America. Mm-hmm. Um, and that record just... or Wait, was that self-titled or was that called New America? I know that they had the song New America, but was that self-titled? Um, no. New America, are you talking the one from like the late 90s, like 2000s? Yeah, I think it was 2000. Dude, I haven't... Uh, I'm trying to fucking think. I'm looking it up because it I can't from, remember. It, so, it, yeah, it, no, it's called The the New America the with New the America. helicopters over the fucking apartment building. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, for some reason, I thought that it was like... Uh, I thought that it was just called Bad Religion but and the song was New America. But, yes, yeah, so New America. Yeah, so I was right the first time. Um, that was the first record I listened to and heard. And then I went back and there was something on like, um, it was like a on demand thing for like music choice for time Warner. And they had like a bunch of history of like Epitaph records and shit like that. And they had a bunch of shit on Pennywise and bad religion. And, and I was obsessed with Pennywise already. I just gotten into Pennywise. Um, so I discovered, uh, bad religion and heard new America and then immediately went back. And the first thing I bought at the last unicorn was no control. Uh, just because I liked the cover, the cover was super colorful or something. It just looked like something that was like on a vision skate deck in the fucking late eighties. Um, and it's just, I mean, tell me if, you know, if you couldn't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't doing any crazy tricks. I was just skating for fun, but like, Pennywise and Bad Religion were, like, my two skate bands for, like, fucking... As soon as I, like, was able to buy a skateboard, um, like, that that just... I don't know. It just kind of, like, all, like, lines up. You know, punk rock, skateboarding, the whole thing when you get... When you first get into it. So, yeah. that I mean, no control, like, hands down. And nothing against The Cure. Love The Cure. Um, oh, yeah. Just, uh, again, not as big of an impact on me. I always confuse in new america with i think it's like new maps of hell or some shit like talk about a band that has just an exhaustive fucking discography um bad religion they just they have so they have so much material and like they're one of those bands too where like um the more that i delve into each one of their like individual like releases it makes me appreciate the span which like basically where they came from because look they everyone kind of 
formed out of those core bands that we've talked about, right? It's always fucking the Stooges, MC5, and then latter part, it's like, okay, Ramones, Talking Head, you know, like everyone kind of originates from the same core uh, set of bands for the most part from that time period. So when you look at a band like Bad Religion, it's always crazy to me that like how much different they were than everything else that was kind of happening around the same time. Right. Um, but then not, you know, you see essentially their lineage. So totally, totally insane fucking, insane fucking group. So yeah, without a doubt, uh, no control, bad religion for sure. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. So the next one, another 89, uh, classics here, Madonna, like a prayer or Nirvana bleach. <sighs> So I think I already know what your I think I know what your answer is going to be. Um, I'm going to go with Bleach, and the reason for that is because I know you know I've talked about Madonna countless times, countless times. Um, for me, the first Madonna record is to, is still to this day the one that like blows my mind. Can you know? It's not to say the other releases weren't as good, um, but I'm I'm going to to go with Nirvana specifically because. And that really captured me at a time when, you know, as a kid, you hear Nirvana, you know, growing up and all that shit, right? We've heard the, we heard the Foo Fighters everywhere growing up, but there was something about the time period that was special to like when I was really being like, okay, now I want to play music. And there was something that was like attainable about what they were doing in the same sense that the Ramones, as you had said, with Pet Cemetery, it's like, you hear the Ramones for the first time that changed your life. It's like, that changed my life like that album in particular that changed things for me to where it's like okay i can do this this is something i can do i'm not going to go and be able to perform a fucking zeppelin album you know what i'm saying but like with shit like this like this really really drove home the point where it was like okay i can this is impressionable to me in a different way so i i do have to stick with uh with bleach on this one uh, this one is probably the most difficult one for me. Um, I'm going Madonna like a prayer. Um, it's, I don't know, just the Prince producing, helping produce, playing guitar on it. It just adds something to it. It was the last like full sire release. Cause on, uh, erotica, you know, she had started, uh, Maverick records. Um, and it was released in part with sire, but, um, there's just something about eighties Madonna. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love nineties, uh, Madonna, love two thousands, but not love current day Madonna. Oh, sure. Um, but I, there's something about eighties Madonna and I wouldn't feel right ever trying to put something that I didn't get into until after nevermind above this. Um, just for my own personal honesty, like I didn't discover bleach until I had heard, to be completely honest with you i think i was like maybe 13 14 until i heard bleach like and i just kind of grew up with madonna was just in my orbit because i was just you know especially growing up where where we did it's it's honestly funny that if you looked at us you'd be like oh yeah they're listening to madonna um especially wearing like a ramon shirt and fucking like having like a blue blue hair like you wouldn't think like, Oh yeah, he's definitely going to choose Madonna over, uh, Nirvana bleach. But, um, there's just something about eighties Madonna. And I didn't hear bleach until, like I said, I didn't even realize that they had an album before. Never mind until, you know, I started really diving into music and when I was 12, 13 years old. And then I went back and I liked it and I thought it was cool. Um, 
but and I understand why people the significance of what Bleach is and and you know was the you know it was Nirvana coming into their own and it was you know it was you know preference it was prefacing fucking Nevermind which would be one of the biggest albums of all time but yeah I just uh, I'm a bigger Madonna fan than Nirvana I know mm-hmm. I, I lose rock cred for that and I lose punk and whatever you no, want to call it that noise dude fuck that noise uh, I just I don't care. I love. I just fucking love Madonna. I love '80s Madonna so much. It's, it's a big part of uh, who I am uh, as a hairy-chested male. It's it's probably <laughs> weird to some people, but no, I love Not Madonna. At all. I, I like a prayer. Was so was like a prayer. Just as a quick aside, it was. I, I know that like she worked pretty much exclusively with Jellybean Benitez for like a considerable amount of time. Went well, Willist or well at uh, at Sire. Was that the first? record that she had not worked with him on i think it was because there was that um oh it was patrick leonard who had and i can't think of the other dude's name but prince was the producer on it too and i can't think of the other dude's name um but he he had collaborated with madonna a bunch i cannot think of his name for the life of me right now um but yeah that was the first time she had kind of it was definitely like I don't know. It was almost like it was her growing up a little bit, but I say that I think True Blue's a pretty mature album. Oh, I, dude, one hundred percent agree. Um, I can't think of the dude's name, but Patrick Leonard was the one dude, and there was another dude that they worked on True Blue as well. I can't think of the other dude's name. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, it's I don't know. It's. Yeah, but it's Madonna, man, and I don't know. There's some. I still feel like there's still like a, a a large group of people that haven't that are like into pop music or like even like current music. And I hate to tell them, but Madonna is, in my eyes, and I don't know if it could even be refuted. She's like the biggest female pop artist of all time. Like Madonna is like a. It's almost a fuck. It's a noun, a verb, a adjective. It's everything. It's not even like. It's beyond just, you know, a Christina Aguilera or Britney Spears or anything like that. I mean, I think people kind of have failed to kind of realize her impact. Sadly, I don't think it'll really be acknowledged or in a proper way until she's gone. Yeah, that's the unfortunate downside to how things fucking operate nowadays. Um, yeah, this in, in I, I think what it was, too, is specific specific to like Madonna as an artist, but, you know, uh, to that album in particular, I think I spent, well, obviously as I explained, it was more impactful for me as I was getting into music, but I found myself, I definitely spent more time with that. I think that was one of the first CDs that, uh, Jeff, Jeff Sadowski had like, let me borrow, um, as far as Nirvana was concerned. Uh, and, and I had already listened to like, you know, that black album or whatever. And I had already heard, um, I had heard all the other shit that we grew up hearing, you know, all the radio stuff on fucking K rock and IFX and all that. But, um, yeah, Madonna, uh, um, it's it still to this day. I think if you talk to the right people, they understand the influence and they understand the importance of somebody right. like that. You know, what? somebody just sent me the other day, dude, she's, she's what? 60. Yeah. She's like 60. in her, she's in her sixties, early sixties. Okay. Her boyfriend's like 24. Exactly. Which isn't great. Awesome. I love it. Love everything. <laughs> love everything about that. Um, but anyway, moving on, moving on. Uh, so I don't know. Well, actually, I'll uh, I'll save the best for last. Um, but 
So I don't know if we've ever talked about Tom Petty, but I got Tom Petty Full Moon Fever, which is his first record away from being Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It had obviously a million classics on it, and uh, Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. Ooh. So this, so I am, uh, admittedly, I am not the world's biggest Tom Petty fan, and it's nothing against Tom Petty. I think uh, Running Down a Dream is a great rock song. It's a great fucking song. Um, I, for whatever reason, like looking back on what played a larger, like Pretty Hate Machine blew my fucking mind. That blew my mind when I heard that, especially because it was like this, it, I think that really turned me on to hard industrial music that like that planted the seeds that would sprout into like my obsession with crystal castles that was sprout into my obsession with like you know like contra void or boy harsher like some of the more current uh electro you know hard electronic or like dark electro whatever fucking goddamn genre you want to throw onto that um pretty a machine was insane to me there was something so harsh about that that album. There's something so aggressive about it. But yet it was like, I can still, I understand that what he's doing, the production is beautiful, right? It's all super clear. And then obviously you see the live performance, the shit from fucking Woodstock, just like people throwing human fucking shit at one another in mud. And like, it's just this grimy thing. Um, that appealed to me much more so than the very well-polished, very accomplished like Tom Petty stuff, which is great in its own right. Again, I'm not the, the I'm not the world's biggest fucking Tom Petty fan, but like I know exactly what he did for music, and he's he's important. He's important to a lot of people, um, and I'm not gonna turn off a Tom Petty song that comes on. You know, we we all grew up in the the age of fucking TK99, and you know, oh, yeah. like it's just like that's had heavy rotation, um, sometimes to a to a fault, but. Uh, yeah, dude, Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. Fucking, that really opened my eyes to hearing the edited version, you know, of any one of those songs, um, you know, just specific Closer, obviously, but like, um, you know, hearing the edited version of Closer, I remember to this day, we were in the car, we were in Glenwood Plaza, I was with my mom, I think it came on 95X. It was the edit, my mom changed it. She was like, what is this? I was sitting in the front seat of the van, and like, it, it walks through like the first part of like the verse, you know, and then it goes into the chorus and she's like, what is this? Cause it blanks, it blanks <laughs> out, you know, fuck, you know, You're and right. she's like, change this immediately. It was fucking hilarious. That was one of the few, that was one of the few times I remember my mom actually changed the radio station to an edited version of a song. That's it was great. fucking closer by fucking Nine Inch Nails. But anyway, yeah, dude, that's, that's my, that's my, uh, that is my answer. If you would have asked me five years ago, it would have been Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. Like, no contest, no competition. But I'm not going to lie. When Tom Petty died, I was just like, I I had like, oh, I, I had Sirius XM. Uh, I got it after he died uh, with the vehicle that I got after that. But So on there, they have a Tom Petty radio. But even after that, I was just like, oh, man, that's fucking terrible. Tom Petty died. I fucking... I fucking I was just like if someone said are you a Tom Petty fan it's like yeah I'm a casual Tom Petty fan and then at you know it was the day after he died I went and on my iTunes or whatever I, I went and I was just like oh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm jam some Tom Petty today fucking thinking of the guy fucking terribly died um and I'm jamming shit and I was just like and I started to realize I was like Wow, there's like songs that aren't singles that I already know because I'd heard Tom Petty so much growing up. 
be it on TK99, be it on 95X, or, or be it just because, you know, uh, my old man had them, uh, had some of his records, especially those those early uh, those early records, the, the ones from the late 70s, early 80s. And I was like, fuck, I know a lot of Tom Petty, and I didn't even realize it. And I think that is like, it's almost like Foreigner. You couldn't, uh, no, like, casual fan would from the 70s would know, could name you any of the original members of Foreigner, and there's really no original members, like, uh, left, the one dude, um, isn't even fucking Mick Jones, not Mick Jones, um, Lou Graham, not Lou Graham, I can't think of the dude's name, (laughs) exactly, um, but they have so many fucking hits, and no one could name you fucking any of their, like, and, like, no one could, you couldn't point them out in a fucking photo, you know what I mean? Maybe, I mean, you and I could point out Lou fucking Graham, but I'm saying, oh, like, course. an average fucking fan wouldn't be able to. And I think I, I just, something happened, unfortunately, cause it was, it took Tom Petty to die to, to realize it, but, you know, I was just like, oh my god, I fucking, like, love every Tom Petty song, and I know, like, more than half of the catalog, and even songs I didn't realize I knew I knew. And I just dived in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and over the past five years, there's probably only, like, three to five bands I've li- and artists I've listened to more than Tom Petty. And I kind of just went down a, a Petty rabbit hole after that, after realizing like, oh, geez, because at first if someone would have asked me, I would have been like, I'm a casual Petty fan. Like, I, I love everything I've heard. Um, but I really, like, I fell in love more and more with this catalog and got into, like, Wildflowers and things like that. And Full Moon Fever, just like, uh, just like fucking a huge record for him, Free Fallen. You know, running down a dream, like just uh, insane, insane songs. They're huge, and everybody knows. Um, mm-hmm. That said, Tom Petty might being my answer. Nine Inch Nails, uh, Pretty Hate Machine is fucking insane. Like the influence that band has and still has, and Trent Reznor has. These influence some of my favorite bands. Like Eighteen Visions is one of my favorite bands of all time. They are super industrial, like influenced, and they've covered, you know. Uh, March of Pigs, they've covered fucking um, Terrible Lie just recently. Like, Terrible Lie. Oh, my, really? Yeah, Terrible Lie is my favorite Nine Inch Nails song. Um, and I love, and I've just loved that they've influenced so many bands, especially like a band like 18 Visions, who I fucking like uh, have loved forever. Um, and they've had, you know, industrial sounds in their records. And it, you know, harkened back to those pretty hate machine uh, days. And I just. Yeah, that record definitely, like, I think it blew a lot of people's heads open, and you have them to thank for the reason, you know, those early Marilyn Manson records, I think, became popular, that dark, gritty, industrial-sounding stuff, Um, and, you know, that was kind of, he kind of navigated through, like, the grunge era and never changed what he was doing, and then you saw, like, bands like Ministry blow up, and Mm -hmm. all these bands that had that industrial sound, it's, uh... Yeah, I mean that takes nothing, nothing away from Trent Reznor and Pretty Hate Machine because it's uh, amazing pan, amazing record, and and that dude's a fucking musical genius. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, just one one thing before we move on. Have you uh, did you ever check out Mud Crutch? That oh side yeah, project. Yep, dude, how great is that fucking? Oh yeah, that, uh, it's so good. It's uh, so good, amazing. And if if anybody's listening, if you can get yourself SiriusXM, you can even get it for like fourteen bucks a month for the app, and you can play it in your car off the app on your phone. There's a Tom Petty channel. He has buried treasured episodes where they actually he actually you know it's all pre recorded. Obviously, his corpus isn't spinning these lines, but he's uh. <laughs> 
he's uh you know talking about like all the, the like who he recorded with and all this stuff and they play like they play a lot of like mud crutch stuff uh you know the traveling wilburys like all awesome. that all that shit just so good and yeah petty was the fucking man Reznor's the man i wish they would have collaborated that would have been great dude talk about the collaboration that i don't know if anyone asked for outside of just now but that would have been a collaboration i think we needed well, well <laughs> Reznor's collaborated with danzig he's collaborated with mm-hmm. johnny cat like everybody like that dude he, he knows what he's doing exactly so exactly. the last one uh, I think this is going to be a pretty easy one for both of us, but I was interested to hear your thoughts on the other, who I think it probably won't be, but the Ramones Brain Drain versus Operation Ivy's uh, one and only full solo or full length uh, official release energy. So the the answer to your question is definitely uh, Brain Drain, um, and in particular, it's as we've talked you know, ad nauseum about, uh, about this album. This album was definitely a heavier, uh, one of the heaviest I would argue to this point, uh, as far as Ramon's records are concerned, it's, it's, it's got a very dark fucking tone to it. Not to say that there's not like the, the fun shit on there, but like you, you look at the actual like, uh, track listing for that. It, it just, it's, it was, it was the first Ramones record I remember, like, specifically, like, going through as a kid and, like, checking out whether it's, this, you know, kind of the, the singles collection or whatever Ramones made. Not even Ramones media, but, like, um, just, like, a greatest hits or whatever. When you get to that era of Ramones songs, like the box set, for example, you get to that era of Ramones songs, it's definitely that it's a weird time frame for the band in particular for, for reasons that you and I have discussed before previously. But it's just, it's, a, it's dark. It's a dark fucking album. It's heavy. Um, so I'm going to go with that immediately just because that's a no-brainer for me. Now, Op Ivy, on the other hand, that was a very strange album for me. And the reason it was because, like, when I think of, like, ska music in particular, um, I probably do what most people do or what a lot of people do. Is it's like, yeah, it's like our, our generation of ska. You think of the Less Than Jake's, who I fucking, I love Less Than Jake. You think of fucking Real Big Fish. I love Real Big Fish, right? But it's like, Op Ivy was that like weird, gritty, you know, pre-fucking, you know, rancid-esque, like they established a tone and a sound in a, in a fucking, one could argue a scene in, in a sense, right? Definitely. Um, Definitely. So important for a lot of people, important for a lot of reasons. Um, the, the whole album's insane. It's not like it's a bad album, but I think for me in my, and and going back, not to try to like always pit it back to like what influenced me musically, what influenced me to go and pursue things. I didn't hear that album, I think until like college, um, like 2007, um, in full, I had heard singles, uh, from you could download singles from the lookout records website, circa like 2004 2005 you could download singles from there like mp3 or wave files um and it's i i loved what they had up there i don't remember what they had up there um i loved what i heard but there was there's just something about um you know any ramones release in particular is going to be special uh in some way shape or form but i don't know there was just something that that really stuck with me more so with uh brain drain versus this op ivy record yeah i mean brain drain definitely for me op ivy honestly 
I can appreciate it, and I and I think it's it's an alright album. But I mean, it just was like you know, it was light rancid, and I love rancid oh, more than yeah. you know what I mean. I, I just loved rancid more. Uh, props to that album. Obviously, it was a landmark album for for what it was and and what it was influencing. Uh, but I just think it pales in comparison to anything rancid. Even rancid's worst record's better than that record. <laughs> well it's like i don't know like i'm not and the thing is too it's like even with the ramones like i've always had this i've had this conversation with a couple people that i've interviewed on fucking burger creek and like some people are very like they don't think about it or they're trying to be like oh you know i love all ramones releases it's like well i love all ramones releases too because essentially what i try and get out of them is what's the release that you've listened to the little the least or what's the release that that or which album you know, when you heard it for the first time, it didn't really speak to you. It took time to grow on you, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you'll have people out there be like, I listen to it all. It's like, okay, um, moving on, <laughs> you know, like, all right, I'm trying to generate a conversation, you know, talking point here. Um, but this was, I think out of the, you know, coming to the end of the eighties and you and I both obviously know where we stand on the eighties. I think this was a very strong finish to like the Richie era. Right. Or I should say ushering back in, more of a, an original lineup quote unquote right um you obviously had marky coming back to the band and performing um you know alongside dd as but he wasn't um you know like we've talked about that like did he actually record he did record he was writing like this was kind of a strange time for the band going into the 90s oh yeah but, but it's i don't know dude I, I, I get that the whole album's not like super heavy but like there's just something about like Zero Zero UFO is an insane song. Like, that's a crazy-ass song to me. Because it's like... You know what it is? I think it's the way the drums are mixed. The drums sound huge in this album. Yeah, I I don't know... The drums sound fucking huge. I I don't know what it was, and it was Marky's first one back, so maybe they were trying to go for, like, a big rock-sounding drum sound. I don't know. That's a good question. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, no, 100%. the the drums are even specifically loud. You can hear in Pet Cemetery, definitely. The Pet Cemetery, Punishment, Fence of Crime is another one. Like it's just there's something about like I don't know. And and then on the, yeah yeah the they stayed side. pretty loud too over the next. Uh, definitely Mono Bizarro is another one where the drums mm-hmm. are super loud. You can hear it definitely on like Anxiety and Censorship and 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 um and. Uh, all those songs like main man and and all those songs you, the drums are pretty and and I don't mind the drums on Mondo Bizarro actually I fucking love that might be the the best marquee drum sound I think uh, I know I would I would definitely agree with you I know that you and I uh, talked about this I would say for me like the biggest like marquee drum sound for me uh is definitely uh Adios Amigos but in particular because I know when we were talking I had said like it was unfortunate, but their swan song of an album, their, their, their peace out, we're out of here. This is the last thing y'all are getting as far as full lengths are concerned, right? That we all wrote in the studios, all, all that shit. I think that was some of the best production like that went into a Ramones record. I think so, I don't, too. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say to date, but like it was some of the best production that went into a I Ramones I think it, record. it was the like, smoothest they sounded. Yes. Yes. Um, especially like it, you hear those songs like Scattergun and, and even like, uh, Life's a Gas. Like, I don't know. They just, they tapped into something. I don't want to grow up. Like, it's just like, there's really, 
it's it's big it's i think polished and not not that there's anything wrong with the gritty shit that's i think what sold us on the ramones to begin with well they had 20 years of not being so polished for you know outside of end of the century everything else was pretty you know i don't want to say rough and tumble but it was it was ramones it was mm-hmm. it was what it was i mean they didn't try to go over the top and when they did it was like light stuff we're adding like a guitar and we want the airwaves and shit like that like Nothing crazy, um, but yeah, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, and especially like in Brain Drain too. Like you can when like as they're going into the chorus, like like those drums are huge in on that on on yeah. that, and same thing with uh, Poison Heart too. Like the drums are like the drums. I I love the drums in Poison Heart, but yeah, they definitely got way bigger. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, fucking Brain Drain. Heads to head, shoulders, knees, and toes over fucking Op Ivy's energy. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So transitioning now that we've wrapped up Battle Year, that was actually fucking a lot of fun. Um, we have to talk uh more Stephen King stuff since we are we just talked to uh, uh Pat Cemetery um obviously earlier we just talked about the Ramones again. Uh, what about what are your thoughts on the Paramount? plus original Pet Cemetery series that's coming. Okay, I thought you were going to ask me about something else, but I'm also glad that you're talking about this because I have a, a very brief follow-up question after we get done talking about this. Um, so they, I guess I, they haven't confirmed that it's a series or a, a new movie or what, but it sounds like it's going to be a prequel because they cast someone very young as uh, Judd Crandall. Interesting. Um, so almost like an origin story to the original one that shows essentially him uh, discovering discovering, what, yeah. What, yeah, discovering it. Um, I am cautiously optimistic. Same. Now uh, you and I both know what had happened with Pet Cemetery when it was rebooted. Uh, good, bad or indifferent. Did it stand up to the original? In my opinion, absolutely not. Um, were there interesting sequences that they chose and they, they had some nice nods to the original one in the new one. Absolutely. Was it as good? No. So to hear that they're going to now do an origin story for Judd and, or, you know, basically the discovery of the pet cemetery, I'm into it. I really hope that the writing is solid and that they try and go for a much darker angle than fucking uh fear street right right you know what i'm saying does that make sense like um i there go ahead i have high hopes for them to do the judd discovering the pet cemetery origin story correctly especially if they can get him into his uh 20s when he talks about in the original film and obviously of course in the novel and the novel is way more haunting than even in the film but when Timmy Baderman, he tells Timmy Baderman's story uh, to Lewis, when you, you, in the novel, he explains like Timmy Baderman coming back, terrorizing the town for like, you know, days. It wasn't just like a little sequence or like it happened in one night and, or whatever, but he was terrorizing the town and telling people he knew their secrets and shit and reveals to, and spoiler alert, uh, you can shut this off if you've never read the book or seen the movies or anything. Um, you know, when he re- reveals to Judd that, you know, he knows that his dirty secret 
that you know he's cheated on uh norma his his wife who's cancer ridden um you know that dark shit and that scene in the book where he is standing and the flies are flying around him and he's rotting as the sun's setting and he's staring like like maliciously smiling at them and smiling like into the sun as the sun just kind of beams on his face and rots as it falls uh that shit is you know i read that and it literally keeps me up at night whenever i read that book and i read it every couple years because it's that fucking good but if they can tap into that like you said the darker storytelling of that original of some of those original stories from the you know judd crandall discovering the pet cemetery knowing what it does and seeing timmy baderman it can be fucking it could really be phenomenal it could will it i guess we'll have to wait and see yeah it's uh there's definitely obviously we're kind of what seems like we're in this bizarre age of either rehashing things trying to create origin stories trying to create sequel or prequels sequels etc like which has been the theme for quite some time but like um now with shows i find that there's an this could go over very well because you know i feel like when you try and push things into an hour and a half you sacrifice a lot of things and obviously stephen king is the master of telling a story painting a very detailed picture setting things up very very uh he has intention when he does everything in his story writing so do you know if he's going to be involved in this project at all or not? I like would even hope, as like executive producer or something like that. Like I, I would hope they do what they did with it with him. They wanted him to kind of give his blessing, the kind of the way they that David Gordon Green kind of has gotten John Carpenter's blessing on these two movies because these are the first and only Halloween movies that John Carpenter had nothing to do with. Uh, as far as getting a made that, you know, he endorses pretty much. Um, so I think that they want that Stephen King endorsement. They don't want Stephen King to be like, Oh yeah, fucking kind of sucks. So I hope that there's some kind of consultation, uh, role for King to, to give the okay on the film. So hopefully it's hopefully, uh, like I said, hopefully he's involved as much as he possibly can be. I, I honestly thought you were going to talk about the Salem's Lot, like, reboot. Yeah, I in, forgot in all about world. that, honestly. Which is, I mean, I just got Return to Salem's Lot, actually, in the mail, uh, which I haven't watched since I was a kid, so I'm excited to rediscover that. But, yeah, uh, and it's going to be a series. I mean, obviously, the original Salem's Lot was a TV miniseries, but this is going to be a series, is it not? Uh, I believe that it is going to be a series and it's pretty from what I've seen, it was basically via like bloody disgusting and shit like that. Right. Um, I didn't get a ton of details. (laughs) Like, I don't even think I got anything about the cast or anything like that. I think it was just like either the announcement or they had started filming for it. So still relatively under wraps. And again, I could be totally wrong about this. Somebody could fucking hear this and like look up the fucking go to Google and type it in and they get goddamn 17 articles that list everything out. Right. My, my exposure thus far with it is I'm excited because as you and I have spoken, Salem's lot was my first book that I read, um, followed by Christine. And it was like, Salem's lot was like truly creepy to me. And then obviously going and watching, you know, I had ended up getting the VHS tape of the miniseries from my grandfather for Christmas. Shortly thereafter, I had read it. He had found out, um, 
he was a big like he would go to like Ames and shit and like kind of root around the VHS tapes and he ended up getting that for me for Christmas because he knew I had read the book and uh you know seeing David Soul out there as Father Callahan was fucking great right um but it was just that I'm excited in the same sense as long as they don't try and rush things, as long as they don't try and fucking reinvent the wheel, it's like the story's written, the content's there. What can you do to bring this to life in a modern age? That's it. That's all we fucking want. That's all we want, you know, for exactly. some reason. This is just very – people have a very hard time adapting, you know, Stephen King. And not to go off on a fucking moderate tirade, but dude did the rewatch. Uh, I hadn't seen fucking – sometimes they come back in fucking years. And then I picked up that DVD copy. Um, it's fucking great fucking great yeah awesome. It, uh, awesome. that's that's another thing i think it gets underappreciated because it was a tv film tommy mclaughlin uh who directed friday 13th part six um jason lives did that and i thought he did great robert rustler as fucking um what was his name in it uh i'm blanking on the character's name lawson uh is fucking like that is so fuck it's just so it's so much fun and it's simple and it feels Stephen Kingy too. Like mm-hmm. same thing with Salem's Lot and the Pet Cemetery movies, er, Pet Cemetery movie, um, the '89 film. That those movies just feel Stephen Kingy. Like if I had to make films that even you know there can be flaws in in these films and people could have feel one way or the other other about them. But to me, especially those three films in specific, those feel very Stephen Kingy to me. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. they they tapped into like the 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 feel the aesthetic of like what I think Stephen King goes for. Well, what's what's wild about those two is, um, in particular for both Salem's Lot as well. Sometimes they come back, done for TV. So yep, it's like exactly. Do, do, doing more with less, and I think that's maybe one of the things that some of these different uh, up and coming hot shot fucking writers and directors and producers and all that shit. It's like take note from that. You can do more with less. Not to say, I mean, it was fucking great. It chapter one was fucking fantastic. Um, the second one was good. Um, I like the, personally, I like the chapter one more. Um, Same. But anyway, um, it's just I don't know. I, I'm 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 excited to uh, I'm excited to see what we have on the horizon for any sort of you know King related adaptations in particular. Um, as you had said, kind of this uh, this origin story right of Pat Cemetery, but also uh, Salem's Lot. Yeah, fucking. the 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 beautiful thing about about Stephen King too is in thirty five, forty years, uh, or even in you know even in twenty and I mean I hope he's alive in twenty five years, but in twenty five years, you know when we're in our late fifties, early sixties, and there's still we're gonna have probably in that time frame, we're probably gonna have at least. You know, another full Pet Cemetery movie, another full Sometimes They Come Back movie. Like, mm-hmm. at some point, it's going to happen. These stories are just going to be, people are going to want to retell them because they're so fucking good and he's so good. And he's, I mean, he's the, in my eyes, he's the biggest author since, I mean, it may sound crazy, but like, he's the biggest, like, literary, like, like, meaningful literary persona we've had since William Shakespeare. I know that sounds like wild to say, but like who's been more influential in, I mean, you could say all of culture, all culture across the globe who the reading culture or the people who appreciate his film adaptations, but American culture, Stephen King has helped create Mm -hmm. so much. 
especially within film, within terror, within horror, within reading, within movies. I mean, just so much. Like, I mean, The Shining. Like, so many people know The Shining. And there's so many people, I think, that watch films. And I I had, you know, someone, uh, a friend of mine that isn't really super into horror, but he checked out Stand By Me. And he's just like, oh, my God, I didn't know that Stephen King wrote that. It was an original. And I was like, yeah, it was a Stephen King fucking short story, The Body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the kind of influence that Stephen King still has. And, I mean, perfect example. Some of the biggest the biggest movie, horror movies of of the last three or four years were was it. Was it 2017 broke all kinds of box office records. Like, And that's just a mark of great storytelling. And we got so much of that from Stephen King. It's fucking crazy. Hell yeah. The King. Literally. The ne- King. Yeah, The King. Now, did you... Have you seen the original Candyman and have you seen the remake? Or no, I shouldn't say remake. I should say the new Candyman. The new Candyman. So yes, uh, I've I've seen I'd seen the new Candyman. I want to say either towards the end of high school uh, or the very first part of college. Um, so we'll say like 2005, anywhere from like 2004, 2005. Uh, this one I saw a little later. Um, as far as just like staple horror films are concerned. Um, definitely the first time I saw it, I did not know what I was getting into. And I didn't really know what to expect because as you remember, I was actually, I was just talking with Hannah about this. You remember growing up, it was Bloody Mary. That was the big yep. thing, right? So to see this a little later on, I was, I was expecting it was going to be a much different story. And I think what threw me for a loop was it tackled different subjects than I think I was used to seeing in horror movies talked about like impoverished areas struggling with urban legends, you know, like, and I think it was a much bigger, like it was a thinking about it. And and I'd rewatched it uh, recently because we're going to, we're actually going to be going and checking it out tonight. Um, Going back and rewatching it, I saw like, okay, not only is this movie wild for many reasons, but one of the big things that blew me away was how starkly different the score was for a movie that came out in what fucking was it 1992? Yep. Okay. So for a movie that came out in 1992, look at how different the score was versus like an eighties, like horror film. Oh yeah. Like, like, almost tinges of classical music composition with piano and harpsichord or whatever, you know, they're all fucking using VST plugins on computers anyway, but like you get what I'm saying. It almost sounded more like the orchestral element of like uh, a Charles band film versus like something from like, that was a huge movie. So yes, um, I've seen it. I've seen it many times. Um, I didn't, it didn't resonate with me the first time I saw it. But then it was one of those movies I, I would, I was, especially when I got done seeing it for that first time, I was like, there's something about this movie that is, it's a, it's bigger than just me being scared of fucking looking in a mirror. It explores elements and topics that I wasn't necessarily used to. The idea of making another Candyman. Does that make sense? Creating right. a, you know, you're going to, you know, let's die together and, and, you know, forever our names will be preserved. Like, it's just, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy concept this like a ether- this etherical entity still wreaking havoc still causing chaos and murders other people are getting blamed for it you know what i'm saying like yeah it's a perpetual way of of the the furthering of an urban legend yeah it's, it's crazy it's crazy and now you're going to see the new one tonight 
Correct. Well, I'm gonna. We've been planning to do a, a Candyman uh, review, um, so I'd like to have you be a part of that once you uh, uh, soak the film in and see it tonight. Um, so maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll record that next week. Um, but yeah, what, it's, are, what are your what are your thoughts? Okay, what are your thoughts on the original? What are your thoughts on the new one? Without, if you can forego some of the spoilers, I just want to hear like I want to hear your honest opinion because I know. You you and I were texting briefly about Candyman like a while back, and you're like, "Dude, it's legit," or something like that. There was, there was like some very brief exchange, I think. So the original Candyman, it's a classic. I love it. Tony Todd's amazing. Tony I've, Todd's fucking great, man. I've you know Clive Barker, I think can do horror like few can, so I appreciate it. So I was very guarded with how this new Candyman was going to be, especially because Farewell of the Flesh and Day of the Dead, they're good, but they're nowhere near what the original Candyman is. Um, and I was nervous because there was so much talk about, is this a reboot? Is this is it a remake? Is it a sequel? And it is a continuation of the original story. I'll say that. And my opinion, I'm not going to say much else other than it's pretty fucking good. Nice. Did you see it with BT? I saw me, BT, and Sean saw it. Did the three of you uh, similar consensus? Sean thought it was all right. BT liked <laughs> it. I said, leaving the theater, I was like, I loved it. I thought it was fucking brilliant. Was BT as stoked? Because I know that he's big. In, BT, he's, he's big candy. Yeah, he's guy. a big candy fan or candy fan man. He's a big candy. <laughs> he's a big. He's a big candy man fan, and uh, yeah, he liked it a lot. He he was a big fan of it. Um. So I mean that take that for what you will, and we're definitely going to discuss this next week. All right, I'm into that. Consider so, me consider me on board. Absolutely. So as we kind of wind down this episode, what what is some of the favorite episodes either you've been a part of or you haven't been a part of in this four year run of this fucking illustrious fucking half sack podcast? So my without a doubt. And I know I've said this before because you and I have had this conversation. One of my favorite episodes is the Heart God like Halloween show with it's it's a longer episode. And, you know, BT tells his infamous story involving St. Agatha like that to me. And, and I think the reason I appreciate that episode the most is because a, I've listened to it a bunch. But B, like at some way, at some level, it's like I know you guys, you guys are my friends. It's like, even though, like, I exited Canastota at a certain time, it's like, all of the places he's naming, just in knowing knowing Brian anyway, it just makes the entire situation that much more ridiculous. So that is one of my, that is one of, that is one of my favorites. Um, recent episodes in particular, I really enjoyed the Stone Cold episode a lot. Like, that killed me. Because A, I know how important that movie is to you. B, I think when you... You, I think, were the one who kind of like told me about that movie years ago. Um, it might have even been one of the first times I came over and like you showed me the thing. Like, dude, if you've never seen it, you need to see it. Brian Bosworth is fucking great. Lance Henriksen, obviously. Um, go and you know check it out. And I ended up seeing it like years ago. Uh, it was on like YouTube or whatever. I could just watch it for free, and right. like, it blew my mind. So that episode I loved, as far as like the recent episodes. Um, and, you know, one of the ones that I've had the most fun with just being on board or being part of it, um, I'm definitely going to have to go with, uh, you know, obviously the our Ramones, uh, our Ramones tirades are always fun. Um, I had a fucking great time with that 
just talking like chud and shit and even like the the um albums that matter like type stuff um when we did like our clash episode in particular like that was that was fun it was you me and uh et yep we, we talked we talked clash um that was great. I, I always, I always enjoy being part of, of things, but I also love, I love listening to like you and the crew kind of talk because obviously you have different relationships with everybody, but everyone brings something extremely unique to the table. Like with these episodes, like you're just this consummate professional host, but not, you know, punk rock consummate professional host. That's probably an oxymoron, but like you really (laughs) bring, you bring the best of like, you're very well researched. You have a fucking, you have a, a, a mind and a, I should say you have the memory of a fucking elephant, which I still don't fully understand. Ellen Alpha never forgets. Like, I don't even, does anybody ask the elephants like if they remember shit? But anyway, it's like you have, you have, you have that, like you have that element of like you, you're very, very, your brain is not tinged with alcohol abuse. You yeah. Know? Like you can remember shit that I can't fucking for life remember. Right? So it's like, I love that because you help re- you, you bring it to every single episode, but also you're fucking hilarious. So, um, in a roundabout way, I'll stop sucking your fucking dick, but, um, <laughs> the show is, the show is fantastic. And, and those episodes in particular, um, just, I, I love listening to, um, and I'm floored to have been part of it. So yeah, dude, definitely from this most recent season, without a doubt though, that's Stone Cold episodes fucking, that's probably one of my favorite ones. And I know a while back I, you, I'll, every once in a while I'll go back and forth about that lethal weapon uh talk through oh, or yeah. whatever that you guys that I, I love um how the fuck do you categorize those episodes like commentary like commentary watch, yeah, commentary commentary um fucking love it you guys also did robocop too is that correct or robocop as well yep i know okay. uh, some of these uh, robocop i think still up there was a couple episodes when i switched to anchor um that got compromised and we lost and one of them was the halloween episode that was comp the audio was compromised and it was lost dude that that is that was one of my favorites the other one too because i think i did a re-listen of it last well either early this year or definitely last year like around halloween as i was gearing up for just the normal shenanigans of october um your friday the 13th like mega episode is fucking super hilarious just because like i know you and i've talked about it and i think i texted you as i was listening to it just like dude this is hilarious you're just like we're so tired but you know at one point like it's just like we're going on this like thing and like trying to extract like commentary from or you know people's thoughts on movies you know at that late hour of the night like it's just knowing knowing you guys also makes those things even more hilarious to me well, wait, you know? wait till, uh, wait till we do the Nightmare on Elm Street one. We're doing that one soon. Holy shit! Wow. We're gonna do them I, all in the same day. Not the same day. I think we're gonna break them up. We're gonna do like, I think we're gonna do like one through four, and then or one through three, and then four through New Nightmare, and then talk the remake and Freddy vs. Jason in the remake in one episode. Um, because that would, I mean, we'll we could go fucking. Honestly, that, that Friday thirteenth one probably could have went for six hours if we really wanted it to. But we're gonna—it's definitely gonna be like eight hours worth of content over the course of like three episodes for sure. That's fucking awesome. Are you gonna try and do them in person? Get BT to commit? And yeah, get, yeah, and, and, and show up and Sean and shit. Well, I, we gotta get—we gotta get your ass uh, up to the the Heart God compound because I want to do a live commentary episode on possibly uh, Lethal Weapon two. Dude, into it. 
into it. I would be, uh, I would have so much fun doing that a hundred percent. So you just get, you, you just give me a date. And, uh, as long as the fucking stars aren't in danger of aligning and the universe is ending, I'll definitely, uh, I got to get up to the compound regardless, but dude, I would love that. Lethal Weapon 2 commentary, fucking dead. And then maybe we could finish off our fucking Alien episode. Just do, a, do <laughs> Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection for the fucking after three years. Dude, you got you talk to BT. You know, I he's busy watching fucking, I don't even know. I Some of the movies that he lists, I'm sure, are amazing. But it's like, you know, I, I, I love that he watches all of the movies that he does because... Um, he can speak to many more things than I can, but get him to fucking stop watching random movies and come over and fucking we'll do our alien franchise. We're gonna we're gonna have to solidify that. But on that note, Lou, I can't thank you enough. Obviously, you've been on a million times, and you're gonna be on a million more times. And we got some fun shit coming up. And this was a blast. But plug uh, plug Burger Creek, the 15 Minutes of Fame podcast. Let everyone know where and when they can find those episodes and what you're up to. Uh, so basically I have a podcast, Jesse, you've been on, you've graced, uh, graced the airwaves talking, talking, uh, one of your older projects. Uh, I, I really hope that you are and just as an aside, I really hope that you are considering or possibly considering getting back to music because the world needs your, your golden voice by way of, uh, music at some point. But, um, I'm definitely, uh, I, I have this podcast. We're on season three. We're in the midst of releasing episodes. I release episodes three at a time on Tuesdays. Um, and basically I do that for 11 weeks. It's a giant undertaking. It's a pain in the ass, but I enjoy it. I love it. I talk with bands from all over. Um, episodes span originally it was 15 minutes. They've spanned into fucking 45 minutes. It's really wherever the wind takes us uh, And those can be found on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, uh, on anchor as well. Um, and, uh, I also play in a wonderful group called lurking class and we have a single that's going to be coming up in October as well as a string of shows. Um, we're going to be playing down in Philadelphia. We're going to be playing in Woodstock, New York. Um, then we're going to be out in, uh, at the depot nightclub playing with the Jasons and meteor king in maryland that's all happening a lot of stuff happening in october it's gonna be a very busy month for us but um uh obviously you know we can you can find our music on um Bandcamp. you can find it on spotify as well as itunes or apple music as it were uh but yeah that's all i got that's just continuing to write music practice fucking gearing up for shows and fucking chatting with bands about poop and fucking movies and all that great shit you know what just guys being dudes you know what more can you ask for in 2021 <laughs> uh and yeah you can find uh you could find burger creek productions at instagram you know at on yes. instagram at burger creek productions lurking classes at lurking class band yeah uh, yes that is correct uh all right and yeah so follow them give them a like give them a listen uh the burger creek productions podcast 15 minutes of fame three episodes every tuesday for 11 weeks and uh they're on season three and i gotta say that's one of the easiest podcasts to listen to because it moves right along and i blow through the first three episodes uh rather quickly on tuesdays when they drop and yeah man uh Fuck yeah, we're going to be doing that Lethal Weapon commentary, and we're going to get some fucking... Maybe we'll do a fucking Salem's Lot episode, too. Dude, that would also be fucking awesome. That would be, especially with October on the horizon. That, I, I, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm setting it in the books right now. Uh, for October, that's going to be one of the episodes, and we're going to fucking... Maybe we can get... Maybe we can uh, set it up so you can come down... 
we can do a Salem's Lot episode and fucking do a commentary for Lethal Weapon 2 in the same day. Into it. Let's do it. We're going to get it done. Lou, thank you so much. This has been fucking a blast. Uh, and, yeah, happy four years to this fucking astute fucking podcast. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, to, to many more. Uh, but thanks, man. I, I appreciate the time. Hey man, you're the goat. Thank you for uh, for keeping this thing going. Congratulations, you are my friend. Are you're you're doing you're doing doing the Lord's work, as it were. Thank you. The Lord's work for all the fucking idiot minions like ourselves. <laughs> uh, but thanks, man. Appreciate it.